and welcome to season five of National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And first and foremost, thank you all so much for joining us for our fifth season. We're so happy you're here. Woo-woo! Fifth season vibes! Yeah, you know what that means, Em? At the end of the season, we'll be at episode 50. Oh, I literally didn't put that together. <laughs> it makes well, sense because 10 episodes per season. Yeah. But that math. is that is how that works. That's, you know, that's why you're in neuroscience and not in math, right? Yeah, I don't ever have to use math. Oh, that's cool. Well, okay. Today's episode is going to be a callback to the premiere of our fourth season. We talked in that premiere episode about critiques and reviews of the first National Treasure movie. So spoiler alert, this time around, we're doing critiques and reviews of the second National Treasure movie. But before we get into all of that, we do have a bit of an intro today because we had quite the podcast off season. I think that's a bit of an understatement. Yeah, understatement of the century. It was the most active off season we've certainly had to date. And we just wanted to maybe tell you all a little bit about it because I don't know I've just like inject national treasure into my veins that is how I have felt the past like month or two (laughs) what I'm just that's a lot (laughs) okay well it all started with I would say two incredible behind the scenes tours that we were fortunate to be able to partake in one at Independence National Historical Park in Philadelphia, and another at the Library of Congress here in Washington, D.C. And I mean, if if that alone was all we had done in the offseason, I would have been like over the moon, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, both of those tours, you can go ahead and look back at our Instagram stories and our Twitter. But I mean, those tours were just something else. Yeah, huge shout out and thanks to Bill Coughlin um, from episode 30 of our show and Abby Yokelson from episode 40, who actually gave us the tours at each of those locations. Um, Then we were invited to take part in and really like open up an outdoor screening of National Treasure in Arlington, Virginia in June. And that was hosted by uh, Rosalind bid. It was so much fun. <laughs> it was, I was, as you know, Aubrey and probably listeners was very nervous about it because it involved interacting face to face with other human beings, which is something I try to avoid doing if at all possible. Um, but I ended up having a lot of fun there. Oh my gosh. I literally have never felt more giddy in recent years than like walking around the audience, like talking to all these people that love National Treasure before the movie started. And then we actually got to like talk on the microphone, like fun facts about National Treasure before the movie started. And that was like, that was everything. So, and then that ended up being the day before our very first National Treasure Hunt tour in D.C., just casually casually the day before I know people think that we timed that and like we had something to do with that timing but really it was serendipity and we are here for it so um I guess 
the National Treasure Hunt Tour, also a lot of content for you to revisit on our social media. Um, but we really do want to thank everyone who joined us for that tour. Uh, we're really excited to do it again the next time. Mark your calendars, sort of. We don't have exact dates for you yet, but it will be in spring 2023. We hope to have a whole new crop of National Treasure Hunters join us. Um, and so get excited for that. But really, the reason we wanted to start, I think, with all of this like flashback or reminiscing about the past couple of months, we really do want to welcome and give a shout out to any new listeners that we have um, from really any of these various events that we held, you know, the Rosalind Movie Night, the, the National Treasure Hunt Tour, etc. So welcome. We are so glad to have you all with us. Yes, welcome. And if you are not already familiar with Aubrey and I's roles on this podcast and our various very different personalities. <laughs> uh, buckle in because you're about to get a crash course in that in this episode. Yeah, I think this is going to be a telling one. Um, so something else that you'll get used to if you are new to our show is something that we start every episode with. And these are our screams from Parkington Lane. Now, if you're new, you're going to be like, what the heck is that? Well, I am pleased to tell you that Screams from Parkington Lane are our opportunity to tell you all about just how much national treasure has seeped into every fiber of our being, every aspect of our daily lives. These are just moments every day where Emily and I are confronted directly or indirectly with national treasure and we want to tell you about it. We're screaming from the depths of the Parkington Lane pit, probably from the antechamber before the treasure room. And that is what we are doing here today to start the episode. Emily, do you have a scream to share? Surprisingly, I do. Um, so I, uh, last night actually, was uh, watching the Phillies with my dad. He's a big baseball Phillies fan uh I, not so much but you know I was watching it with him and uh this commercial came on I wish I could tell you what the commercial was for I honestly have no idea but they were people that had like large carts of like produce um so like somebody was pushing a thing of like cantaloupes and somebody had a thing of watermelon and somebody I like happened to look up and somebody was walking across the screen with a large cart full of lemons <laughs> and I immediately was transported back to the scene in which uh, Patrick Gates has like 20 million lemons in his fridge for no apparent reason. Wow. Well, what I would love to point out there is that clearly the marketing department of whatever company that commercial was for did a really poor job because you have no idea what company it is. But um. Shout out to them for really giving Lemons their time in the sun, if you will. Shout out to you, Unknown Marketing Company. Well <laughs> done. Oh, my gosh. Well, Emily, I, uh, I have a very special screen today. It's one mm. I have been holding on to and dying to share with the listeners for, honestly, like two months now. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, you already know it, but whatevs. Okay, so you guys... As you all know, uh, there is a National Treasure TV series that's currently in production, in development um, for Disney+. Plus. 
Um, we actually have a video, fun fact, from our tour. If you go on our Instagram or our Twitter, we have a video message for our listeners from the star of that TV show. Her name is Lizette Oliveira, um, and you should go check it out. But anyway, that TV series has been in filming for a little while now. And, you know, y'all have heard me on the pod before tell you how I find content for our social media. I do a weekly search of National Treasure and National Treasure 3 and National Treasure Movie and every iteration of that you can possibly think of to find articles to post. And one day I came across a posting um, from a, I guess it was like a Baton Rouge media outlet. The show was filming in Baton Rouge and it was a casting call for extras for the TV series. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I live in Washington, DC. There's no way they'll call me for this if I submit, right? Well, I feel like for the story, for a scream on a future episode, I should apply, right? I should, and that would be a scream in and of itself. Well, little did I know that my scream would amplify from being a simple response to a casting call to receiving a callback. Um, <laughs> 48 hours after my submission, I get an email from, I guess, a local casting company, whatever, um, that they wanted me to come be an extra on a scene that was being filmed on like an, like an old battleship, sort of like the Intrepid, the USS Intrepid, like that kind of vibe, apparently in Baton Rouge. And I literally had a meltdown. <laughs> um, understatement. Because I was like, I have to do this. But they needed me there in like less than 48 hours. And part of their whole thing was like COVID testing protocols and everything. And based on the timing, I actually couldn't get there. Like even if I wanted to fly down, I couldn't get there and get the testing at the site that they needed in time to be there. And that's not even barring any issues I would have with work or anything like that. But um. I was freaking out because I was so upset I couldn't do it. I was so, so upset that I couldn't do it. And the only thing that brought me any comfort was realizing that they'd probably take my phone away and I wouldn't be able to like document anything because like aside from doing it for a scream and for the experience, I would want to document it for like everyone who follows us, you know? Um, yeah. I have a question. Please. A follow-up, if you will. Please. Uh, this submission. Yes. Uh, was it like, a self video of you acting <laughs> if only i would have been a starring role if it was no um it was really just like you submit um like your name your age your characteristics like your height your weight your hair color like stuff like that um and i don't think it was much more than than that to be honest with you um, okay, so what this is telling me, though, is yeah. that when filming for National Treasure 3 comes around, because as you may or may not know on this podcast, we basically think of National Treasure 3 as definitely going into filming. Yeah. Um, and when that comes about, it sounds like if they have the call for extras based on your just physical appearance, you could get a callback, which gives me hope for myself, Absolutely. which means that you know this was just this was step one in our ultimate ultimate plan oh my gosh this is a brilliant way of thinking about this Emily thank you so much you make me feel a lot better about myself <laughs> <laughs>
Wow. So um, that's going to be a hard scream to live up to next week. But here we are. Um, if you have screams to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Emily, you want to tell them where they can find us? You can find us. Wow. Some things have never changed. On Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are available for your beautiful listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We also have a website which contains information about our book, our merch store, our annual tour. Even if you didn't, for some reason, if you missed where I said you could listen to the podcast, you can figure that out on the website too. It is www.com nthuntpodcast.com uh so please go ahead check us out like subscribe rate review check out our website do whatever you can on those various platforms to let us know that you are on this national treasure hunt with us absolutely all right you think it's about time we actually get to the meat of this episode i know we had a lot to talk about but like i said it has been an exciting time right it's been a while we we, we had to catch the people up we did. We did. Okay. So I think it's time for us to actually dive in. Uh, once again, today's episode will be us talking all of you through some professional and some viewer reviews and critiques of National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. And of course, giving our very opinionated takes on those reviews. I also think, Em, that it'll be fun to try to compare them a little bit to what we heard uh, review-wise from National Treasure back in episode 31. Yeah, I, if I've if I remember correctly, and those of you who have been listeners for a long time know I often don't, we had some pretty strong opinions on those uh, reviews from the first film. For good reason, I think. <laughs> and so uh, ultimately, we're going to be doing this episode in the same format as that previous episode. So we have pulled a handful of movie reviews from both formal review platforms as well as informal venues all about National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. We're going to either read them in full if they're short or we'll read some key parts, if you will, of them. And then we're going to have a conversation about what we agree with, what we disagree with as objectively as possible. Take that as you will. Um, so before we dive in with our first review, um, Emily, I feel like I have just a broad thought, um, you know, having looked at these reviews now over the past couple of days and thinking about episode 31, my overarching thought about this exercise, I find it interesting that the critic reviews for Book of Secrets seem to be, in general, a lot tamer um, than we found for the first movie. And I find that really strange because critics apparently hate the second movie more than the first movie. So you'd expect the exact opposite. Um, while I will say that the audience reviews for the second movie are a bit harsher in line with that general sentiment that people tend to love the first movie more. So I, um, I found that a little bit strange. I have some predictions as to why that might be, but I'll talk about them at the end of the episode. I was wondering if you had any main takeaways before we dive into the New York Times review. Yeah. Um, so 
I think I definitely agree with you that these reviews seem like generally more positive uh, than the reviews for the first National Treasure film. Or maybe more closer to neutral. <laughs> closer to neutral. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying more positive because like anything that's not that negative is going to be a little more positive. See, you are good at math. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, but something else that I noticed and I'm, I find that I'm constantly amazed by when reading movie critiques is the ability of movie critics to so politely but forcefully kind of give a backhanded compliment (laughs) to the material in which they're asked to review um and so I will say that even though on the surface these reviews seem slightly better I think if you dig into them a little bit it like there's some not malice in there but there's some negative (laughs) negative thoughts in there oh no these are certainly not positive by any stretch of the imagination and the other thing that I found and I don't know maybe this is because these reviews by and large came out three years after the reviews for National Treasure because that was the span of time between the two films um these reviews are also just like how do I put this the reviews for the first film were really aggressively mean but also like colorful and slightly entertaining if you can get past the meanness aspect Mm -hmm. these ones were less colorful um and like less entertaining they were way more bland so maybe i'm critiquing the critiquing the critic's ability to criticize here that was fun to say that was a lot Okay, so without further ado, maybe we should give you some examples. Um, just like last time, we're going to start with two really, um, I would say, well-known sources of movie reviews. The first one will be the New York Times, and the second one will be Rolling Stone. Um, so the New York Times review for National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets was published on December 21st, 2007, and uh, this was written by reviewer Matt Zoller Seats. And I'd like to point out that this is a different reviewer than the person who reviewed National Treasure for New York Times. So Matt's review is titled Racing Around the Globe, Solving a History Mystery. That snaps, alliteration. Snaps for rhyming? Question Look mark? at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good with math. I'm not good with like English words. <laughs> There's little that I'm good at, but I'm sarcastic, so. I mean, that title might be the best part of this review. If you want to read it, we will post the link to the review on our social media um, along with this episode. But um, Emily, New York Times reviews tend to be like fairly lengthy, so I'm just going to pull out a couple of snippets to read to you. Does that sound okay? okay? All right. And I'll do my best to do some dramatic readings because that is my specialty. The hyperactive sequel, National Treasure Book of Secrets, sends its archaeologist hero, Ben Franklin Gates, Nicolas Cage flexing his deadpan, on a globe-trotting quest that might have been devised after a long night of Wikipedia surfing. Returning characters include Ben's archaeologist daddy, Patrick Gates, the improbably dignified John Voight, 
Ben's techie sidekick, Riley Poole, who extricates Ben from impossible situations and serves up expository softballs, and Ben's now ex-girlfriend, Abigail Chase, whose dalliance with the press secretary of the President of the United States enables the gang to hunt for clues in the Oval Office. New faces include Patrick's ex-wife, Emily Appleton, a scholar of ancient languages, who is sly and sexy even while translating pre-Columbian glyphs, as well as a rival archaeologist and Confederate sympathizer named Mitch Wilkinson, who brazenly accuses a Gates ancestor, Thomas Gates, of collaborating with Abraham Lincoln's assassin, John Wilkes Booth. Like its predecessor, National Treasure, this sequel amounts to a bunch of crossword puzzle answers stitched together with explosions, chases, and displays of intuitive reasoning that the Twin Peaks FBI agent Dale Cooper would reject as too right-brained. As directed, or covered really, by John Turtletaub, the National Treasure films substitute trivia for poetry and busyness for thrills. The protracted climax of Book of Secrets set in a dimly lighted waterlogged Cibola, you thought they wouldn't find it, plays like a promotional reel for a forthcoming Disney World attraction. The best one can say for this franchise is that almost every character is educated and proud of it. I have thoughts. I have so many thoughts! <laughs> oh boy. Um, I would like to start with the rude uh, assertion that the assertion say that one again rude assertion that the climax of national treasure book of secrets happened in cibola because they were trying to promote a forthcoming disney world attraction when we know for a fact that these movies were not set up to be franchises with attractions and merchandise and stuff like that that was not the plan so the fact that they're assuming that this is no just no no but also my response to this was all was a little bit of huh so we're not the only ones who want this huh (laughs) give us reviewer (laughs) give us a ride at disney and guess what? If we had that right, I bet you we would have had National Treasure 3 five, 10 years ago. Sure. So, um, okay, let's start. Let's let's jump back to the top here. Um, right off the bat, I noticed a difference in the characterization of a lot of our protagonists. Ben Gates, for, for example, they call him an archaeologist hero, which, true, he's the hero of the story and he serves an archaeologist role but I'm thinking back to the the characterization of him in the first movie and they were calling him an arch nerd they were calling him like basically borderline mentally disturbed like all kinds of things this is like a much more straightforward accurate and not awful description no it's like they're comparing him to Indiana Jones yeah, that's a good point. Without calling out Indiana Jones, because mm-hmm. you know if Indiana Jones had appeared in this review, I would have copied it into our notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also, uh, I would say, a, a more fair characterization of Riley. Nothing really rude here. I agree that he serves up expository softballs, right? He is the stand-in for the audience, so that's sort of his job. Um, they call Abigail Ben's now ex-girlfriend again true, although 
still not much of an acknowledgement of how well educated she is and her main characteristic given in this review it's not that she is a hot blonde which we saw before in 2004 but it is about her relationship status with phil dunphy aka ty burrell aka connor the press secretary it's actually not the press secretary but whatever the, uh, this thing gets it wrong and don't worry what they left out referring to Abigail as hot and blonde, they made up for by referring to Ben's mother as sexy. Can you even imagine, though? I mean, like, Helen Mirren, sure, she's sexy, but, like, that's not how you describe her character in this film. Even the film itself gives her a fairly not great stereotype that they could have played with here, which is that she's, like, a really mean professor. Yeah. But instead, we have to go for the the attractiveness scale here. Um, I'd also like to point out um, a little bit of sass towards Patrick Gates, um, archaeologist daddy. Like I, I, I could have gone without the use of the word daddy there. That, that's not too. an acceptable use for the word daddy. Didn't love that. And then... Um, confederate sympathizer i feel like this could be a whole 10 minute conversation they're just calling him out they are throwing him under the bus right from the get-go you know the funny thing is i never really interpreted mitch as a confederate sympathizer me neither i just thought he wanted to clear his family's name not that he agreed with the confederacy i just yeah i mean i i feel like there are a lot of people who are descended from confederate soldiers maybe even sympathizers but that doesn't make them themselves inherently confederate sympathizers you know yeah he never said anything that made me think like oh this guy yeah exactly he he would be waving a confederate flag if he were around nowadays like didn't get that vibe no not at all so this immediately this reviewer is um taking I would say our characters to some extremes, especially the new ones. And it almost makes me wonder, like, did he just watch the first movie and just like then watch the trailer for the second one? Like, did we watch the second movie? I'm not really sure. Well, he probably didn't watch the trailer for the second one, because if he did, his review would have been way more all over the place than it is. That's true. And if you are new to this show, please feel free to check out our past episode all about the two-minute trailer for National Treasure 2 because it basically tells the story of an entirely different movie. Moving right along, um, there were some funny things in this review, like the whole, they might have devised this after a long night of Wikipedia surfing. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, is that bad? Is that bad? Wikipedia is a good source of information nowadays. It's not like it used to be when we were youngins in elementary school where they were like don't trust anything that comes on wikipedia i don't know what that accent was (laughs) i mean certainly wasn't mitch's accent but i mean not to mention the fact that the implication that they would have spent hours searching wikipedia means that they were trying to base this in historical fact or at least like things that actually happen which to me is a compliment for this franchise i think that the hit was supposed to be the wikipedia part that it's all fake yeah yeah well i don't mean to keep plugging old episodes of our podcast but there's lots of episodes that um prove that incorrect um 
okay so i have you seen um twin peaks by any chance i don't know who this character is he's referencing no, Dale I have Cooper. No idea what this is referred to yeah me either i mostly selected this line from the review because of the um i thought it was funny crossword puzzle answers stitched together with explosions chases and displays of intuitive reasoning i mean not wrong well what is wrong with that that sounds great yeah, I know much like the Wikipedia line, I know this is supposed to be like an insult, but I personally find crossword puzzles very hard. Yeah. I, I like hate them because I think they're too difficult. So that just implies to me that our characters here are super intelligent if they can solve all these crossword puzzles and, and whatnot, you know? It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the the last thing that I I want to touch on, and probably you were about to get there, is the last line, or I I don't know if it was actually the last line of the whole thing, but the last line that we talk about, uh, where almost every character is educated and proud of it, as two women in science with their PhDs who are I hesitate to say educated and proud of it, this is not the dig that this reviewer seems to think it is it is like yes these people are smart and they are willing to show it and and may i say that he said almost every character which in some ways might suggest that riley is included in that which as i always say riley has one of his best moments in this film where he gets to be all smart and stuff and he's showing off his unique brand of intelligence and yes he's proud of it sir let him be proud of it please for the love of god yeah aside from the you know calling ben's mom sexy as her only characteristic um this line was actually the one that i found really egregious because the implication or the insinuation is like that they shouldn't be proud of their education they shouldn't be proud of their ability to solve these puzzles and put their education to work. And I found that really gross. <laughs> yeah, like, I I don't think that you need, like, higher degrees to be considered educated by any stretch of the imagination. I think there are people with intelligence and vastly different things. But I think the fact that these people, for the most part, had higher degrees and are intelligent and are showing off that intelligence whether it be from life experience or in the case of dr helen mirren <laughs> um <laughs> you can't even remember your namesake dr emily appleton in the case of dr emily appleton uh that you know she got it clearly from her studies um as you know her job is to talk about the kind of stuff that she discusses in the film i, I just think it's just it's not the dig that they think it is no i mean and we've said it before and we'll say it again there's really something there there are so few women in the in this franchise that the fact that the the two women both have doctorates is Ooh. really exciting and commendable even though this was made in the early 2000s um that just i just hate this line and you know what i'm going to spin this line in a way that the reviewer probably never intended they did say almost every character is educated and proud of it. Who is this reviewer is implying as uneducated? I can only think of Mitch or, of course, Agent Sadusky. Dear Lord, Aubrey, let it go. I will never let it go, Emily. I will what never is let our it next go. review? 
Our next review, like I said, comes from Rolling Stone. All right. And um, a couple of preface points before I do some reading here. This Rolling Stone review came out December 27th, 2007, and it's a video review. All right. So sometime between 2004 and 2007, Rolling Stone thought they were going to get all cute and have their reviewer give like video reactions rather than written reactions. Um, so Again, we'll post the link to the video on our social media this week in case you'd like to take a look at it. The reviewer is the same guy who reviewed National Treasure for Rolling Stone, okay? So okay. that's going to become relevant in a moment. Another just quick thought, since like I'm really leaning into this vibe of critiquing the critiquers, um, moving to a video format was not good on Rolling Stone's like part. The guy just is like his critiques are much more empty compared to the written versions in terms of content and actually explaining why he feels the way he feels. As you'll see in a moment, there's really no explanation or any depth to what he's saying. He just has an opinion and is going to tell it to you. All right. Okay. So I did try to transcribe these quotes directly from his video. So we'll see. We'll see how I did. <clears throat> The movie that offends me the most is called National Treasure The Book of Secrets. And what offends me about it the most is that it's a huge hit. He then goes on to complain about how viewers weren't going to see the movies on his own top 10 list for 2007, but that they were instead going to see Book of Secrets. Okay, that's what happens in the interim. Then he says, National Treasure was my most hated movie of 2004. And what's in the new one? Almost nothing. Nick Cage is back. He's the treasure hunter. He uses a bit of American history to find out about things. Now he's looking for a letter from John Wilkes Booth. I'm falling asleep talking to you about it. Is there anything good to be said about this movie? One good thing, Helen Mirren has followed her Academy Award-winning triumph last year in The Queen by doing a popcorn movie. I want you all to email me. I want to know why you're watching this. If we can find the secret, maybe we can find the cure. You've got to stop doing this end quote um i would just like to say oh, you <laughs> so excited for you to bleep that it'll be our first bleep ever um yes sir. wow i can't believe you had the same strong opinion that i did em because i'm usually the one that's like really defensive here sir it is the he just wants to hate it that's yeah. his issue Okay, I'm sorry. I am. I'm gonna go off. I am sorry that people are not watching the movies that you think are the best. Maybe, hmm, maybe let's think about it. The fact that people aren't watching your top ten movies means that the movies you like aren't that great. Just the thought. Who knows? Also, the movie is called National Treasure: Book of Secrets, not National Treasure: The Book of Secrets. So if you can't get the name of the movie right, let's not be reviewing it. Thank you very much. Do better. Do do so much better, sir. Um, you're falling asleep talking to me about this. You're getting paid to do this. So I hope you're not falling asleep. Either that or maybe you have some sleep disorder that you should get checked out. Um, and then is there anything good about this movie? I will say that one of the amazing things about this movie is the presence of Helen Mirren. And I'd say given that she won an Academy Award for her role in The Queen, the woman knows a thing or two about choosing good movies to be in. 
So she wouldn't have chose to be a national treasure book of secrets if it wasn't for the fact that she thought it was a good movie to be a part of, suggesting that maybe she might be better at critiquing some of these movies than you are. Wow, slow claps for Emily. I have never felt closer to you, Emily, than right now, because our opinions are perhaps the most analogous they have ever been in our, how many year friendship? 10? Yeah, 10 years, about that. Um, Wow, I, I really commend that rant. You did point out already one of the things that I found funniest about this was that he couldn't even get the movie name right. Like, this is literally his job. So rough. Um, I agree. I agree with you about the whole top 10 list thing. And I think this is on a little bit more serious note. It's a bit of a callback to a huge discussion we had when we were talking about the National Treasure Reviews, this idea of critics being sort of out of touch with the movie viewing audience and why is it that some of the highest grossing movies like a national treasure back in the day or like a marvel movie right now why are they reviewed so poorly like what is the discrepancy here and what is the point of a movie review from a critic if you know it's so constantly inconsistent with the opinions of the viewing public. Um, So I see that coming through again right here. I think the point about National Treasure being his most hated movie of 2004 is exactly what you said. He went in with his mind made up that there was nothing to like about this. Um, And that, in my opinion, should like disqualify you from being able to do this job. Yeah, it's like being on a jury. Yeah, I mean, aren't you supposed to be objective when you go in to, like, review something, whether you're reviewing a movie or, like, a restaurant or whatever? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not one, but I thought that was the whole deal, and that's why we were supposed to, like, take reviewers' opinions in high regard, because we're supposed to be able to trust them to be objective. Um, Another thing in here, I noticed you didn't pick this out. I am not surprised. Um, He gets another point wrong. Um, ben Gates is not looking for a letter from John Wilkes Booth, not even a little bit. Like, <laughs> again, I questioned, did the reviewer even watch the movie? Now, I know that this movie is very fast paced. The clues come fast and hard. And like we've talked about before, the pacing isn't the best in this movie, but I think it's fairly clear that we're not looking for a letter from John Wilkes Booth here. I mean, quite frankly, after the first five ten minutes of the film John Wilkes Booth is practically irrelevant um and the last thing I'll say here I know this was written in 2007 y'all I don't know if uh if Sir Peter Travers still works for Rolling Stone but I have a call to action for our listeners You'll recall Peter Travers here asked all of us to email him and tell him why we love National Treasure so much Now, of course, he wants this because he thinks that we are idiots. Basically, he said that without saying that. And he thinks we should be cured of our desire to watch films like National Treasure. I think that we should all collectively go online, see if Peter Travers still works for Rolling Stone or even any media outlet for that matter. And we should all bombard his inbox with why we love National Treasure um, and why we want National Treasure 3 so badly. What do you think, Em? 
That's an interesting tactic. Crazier things have happened. I mean, I'm all for it. I issue this challenge to our listeners and um, I do invite you to tell us how this quest goes for you. Are you able to contact Peter Travers and what are you going to say to him? We will share everything you send us on our social media. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, we've now gotten to the point in our program where we're going to shift gears and move to some aggregator sites. So some of the most common websites that collect reviews from oftentimes both audience members and from professional critics. Um, Last time around, I will remind you that we found that the aggregator site reviews tended to be way more in line with general consensus or opinion on um on these films even when those reviews are coming from professional critics so keep that in mind the first one we're going to look at here is rotten tomatoes everyone knows rotten tomatoes uh their infamous tomato meter um book of secrets has a 36 percent tomato meter score now we can compare that to 46 percent for national treasure Um, it also has a 67% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So those are compiled by the, you know, people like you and me viewing audience compared to National Treasure's 76% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And so right off the bat, I think we're seeing two things ring true. Number one, a lot of people say that between these two films, they prefer National Treasure over Book of Secrets. We're seeing that reflected here, but in both the tomato meter score and the audience score. But once again, we are seeing a substantially higher audience score than critic score for this movie, just like we saw for the last one. So I think there's a lot of consistency here with what we're expecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So what we're going to do here for Rotten Tomatoes, we're going to go through three critic reviews. I'll read all three of them and then critique them as a group. Um, And then we'll do a couple of audience reviews and critique those as a group. Now, the way that I selected these to be as fair as possible, um, I tried to pick the most recent ones that were also not too, too long. Um, That's how these were chosen. So you don't have to get on us about like choosing biased reviews or whatever. Okay. Any questions, Em? I'm ready. All right. The first one, the reviewer gives the film a B minus and says, Book of Secrets isn't going to be remembered as an all-time great film, but it serves its purpose of entertaining its intended audience. What more can you ask of a film? And that was written by Michael Compton of the Bowling Green Daily News. The second critic review, they give the film a 2.5 out of 4 rating. Even when its credibility is stretched thin, it coasts through on charm, which gives it just enough points to make it not a waste of time. This was written by Maddie Lucas of From the Front Row. And finally, we have a one out of four rating, and it reads, the plot is illogical to the core, which one would have accepted had the film been a sheer roller coaster ride, leaving you little time to notice the holes in the plot written by Namrata Joshi of Outlook. Okay, so um, it seems like we have three reviews here that are, you know, I would say they range from fairly decent to pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, I think that that says it. But none of them are 
as bad as, again, our New York Times or our Rolling Stone review, which again, those ones are consistently off the chain awful. <laughs> um, I feel like I don't have too, too much to say about these reviews personally, except for the last one. We know that the plot is not actually illogical to the core. Again, you only have to listen to a few episodes of our show to know that there's actual history in some of these points and the way they connect the dots, while it is more circuitous than the first movie, they do technically connect. Um, we actually can't argue with that. Um, so I didn't love that. And I, I thought that was a little ill-advised and a little bit, you know, of a rash judgment without actually thinking about what comes up in these films. But the person does um, highlight that there are some holes in the plot, which is true, right? And we, we only know this because there are holes filled by deleted scenes available online, right? Right. Did you have any thoughts about any of these? Um, I just, I feel like, I mean, it's going to be biased because it's the best one, but I feel like the first one, uh, where, you know, the person pointed out that Book of Secrets wasn't going to be remembered as an all-time great film, but that it entertained its audience and that's what you're looking for in a film. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I, I, I'm aware that National Treasure and Book of Secrets are kind of more niche interest groups for a lot of people, especially nowadays. So I, I understand if the movie itself isn't lauded as one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. But I think that it did, like this man said, it did what it's supposed to do. It was very entertaining. And that's what you look for in a movie. So that's where I actually find this really interesting, right? Because this is a guy doing a movie review and he's acknowledging that a film's purpose is basically to sell tickets and get people interested and entertained. What are the other reviewers like the New York Times and Rolling Stone reviewers? What are they not getting about that? Where is the disconnect? Mm. Good point. Yeah. I just, I find that so fascinating because I agree with you. Like, I don't know. The movies are first and foremost an industry. So their job is to sell tickets and get people to watch the movie either while it's in theaters or afterwards on streamers or however people watch these movies nowadays. Um, so why are you so critical of a film that does that? Now, here's the thing. Most reviews come out when a movie's coming out, right? So you don't know if it's going to be a box office success yet. But in this case, just like in any case of a sequel, you at least know what it's following up. You also know that there wouldn't have been a sequel in the first place if the first film wasn't, again, selling those tickets and getting those butts in the seat at the movie theater. So the fact that you're criticizing something that you think is not going to be appealing to people when you know it already has is a little strange to me. So should we move on to the audience reviews from Rotten Tomatoes? I think so. Okay, so again, these are written by just general people on Rotten Tomatoes' website. Um, again, they're the four most recent and shortest, so as not to be biased. I'll read them all, and then we'll talk about them as a group. So the first one, 
Ruhan A gives the movie a 4.5 out of 5 and says, not as good as the first one. The second review is by Porter V, who gives the movie a 5 out of 5 and says, starts off with a death or two and then picks up into a simple adventure that ends up being amazing, action-packed with a car crash scene, lost artifacts, this movie has it all. The third review comes from Derek L, who gives the movie two out of five stars and says, will slake its previous film as it attempts to provide a thrilling action adventure. It somewhat ended up being bland and wasted its all-studded cast with a confusing plot. And the final review is from Akshat M, giving the film 3.5 out of five stars and says, National Treasure 2 was not on my must-watch list, but I watched it after I enjoyed the first part. The history behind the show may not be accurate, and it also has around it an air of mystery, but it certainly was a fun-filled ride with the fast-paced action flicks. Yes, the movie was a little bit silly from the previous one, but it was still enjoyable. I am now literally waiting for the third part. Well, you know, I, I have a place I want to start here. Please. So... I would like to start the third review, which was the two out of five. Okay. And the fact that they said at the end uh, that the movie wasted its all-studded cast with a confusing plot. Now, obviously, you and I don't believe that anyone on the cast, except maybe one person, was wasted in these films. However... The confusing plot aspect is something that I personally can really vibe with because to this day, I still find the plot a little confusing. And we've talked about before how because of the way that all of the the filming and the scripts came together, things were a little, a little rushed. So while if, if you take the time and you kind of sift through things, you can find a logical explanation for the way that everything is going and it does make sense. I can completely understand just watching the movie in like one go and not thinking about any of that stuff, how you might end up like slightly confused about what's going on. So I think that even though it's a bad review, it's like valid. And it's also not that bad. Like it's something that I I find here is that even the bad reviews on the viewer side of the house are not that bad. I think it demonstrates a little bit people's fandom. Um, maybe not just because they love the first movie so much. It's not, they're not afraid to give a, a not glowing review here. Um, but there is, it shows that there is something about this franchise that's resonating with people. I mean, think about it. The first review here is almost a perfect five out of five stars and the actual written review is not as good as the first one so what does that mean to me that that tells me that ruhan a who writes that review they really like national treasure right so they loved the first movie they didn't like this one as much but guess what they still liked it they gave it four and a half out of five stars yeah, they only didn't like it by 0.5 stars right. I mean, what's 0.5 stars in a five star scale world <laughs> No, exactly. I mean, there's also some things here that I think are really well stated. You know, there's, it is action packed in certain parts because Mm -hmm. of the cars, because of the the artifacts that we find, you know, 
there is in in the fourth review an air of mystery it is fast paced almost too fast paced at times um so yeah i think once again we have viewers who tend to be more reflective of the general populace watching this movie i don't think anyone watches this movie i'm exaggerating a little bit because i'm sure there are some people but i'm sure most people are not watching this movie and thinking wow i just wasted two hours and four minutes of my life that i will never get back right yeah and you know once again bias but i think this is one of those films that has a little bit of everything in it like it, it has some of the history stuff in it it definitely has the action it has the treasure hunting components for people like me. There's a love story. There are even two love stories in this film. Um, three, if you count Riley and his love for knowledge slash the Book of Secrets. Uh, three, if you count Riley meeting the girl at the end. Emily, come on. Nah, I don't really count that. Uh, she wasn't going to be good for him, I can tell. Um, oh my god. <laughs> but there's a little bit of something for everyone. So, you know, even... And, you know, I, and I, I say this a lot, like I was forced in college to watch the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings films. And I am not huge into fantasy, as you, um, it's not exactly my cup of tea, but I found the love story in that movie. And I left that movie thinking like, oh, at least there was a good love story in it. I didn't think that was a complete waste of my time. So I think if you put enough of these different facets into a film, which is what the writers of National Treasure and in this case, Book of Secrets did, there is a little bit of something in there for even people who aren't going to come out loving the entirety of the movie. There's something in there for them to connect with. I think that's a really good point. Um, okay, should we move on to our final set of reviews today? Yes. Okay, so our last set of reviews comes from none other than IMDb. Um, folks who use IMDb might be aware that IMDb has a 10 star rating system and the way it works is they compile ratings from pretty much anyone who's watched the movie and goes on to IMDb and gives their own rating. Okay. So the IMDb rating for National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets is 6.5 out of 10 stars based on 235,000 ratings. All right. And so we can compare this to the IMDb rating for the first National Treasure film, which was only 0.4 points higher, four tenths of a point higher at 6.9 out of 10 stars. Um, the way IMDb works is in terms of its review system, these are all user reviews. So again, these are all people who just go on, they've watched the movie, they click a number of stars and they want to leave their thoughts. So um, for full disclosure, I chose these to read to you today, mostly based on them not being too long because surprisingly maybe people on imdb sometimes have a lot of opinions that are very 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 long so these ones are sort of medium length and that's what we're going with here um so there's three again um actually they're a little longer than the previous one so maybe we'll review them one by one okay, okay. so the first one is written by steven c he gave Book of Secrets seven out of 10 stars, and his title is The Secrets Out, The Formula Still Works with National Treasure Sequel. Stephen writes, the follow-up to the 2004 box office surprise National Treasure is everything you'd expect. 
Thank goodness. It should come as no surprise that the conspiracy-based code-cracking mystery adventure is still just as hot as it was in the year of the Da Vinci Code. There's nothing new, nothing special or unexpected about Book of Secrets, only Ed Harris replacing Sean Bean as the rival treasure hunter. That and the addition of Helen Mirren as Nicolas Cage's mother to strengthen the film's female roles thanks to leading lady Diane Kruger's utter mediocrity. The film has all the same history mystery you remember, the national and now international landmarks, the witty inserts from Justin Bartha's character Riley, and of course the preposterous plans for Benjamin Franklin Gates to get whatever he's after. In other words, if you're looking for something different, more clever, or intellectually stimulating, read The Da Vinci Code again and don't bother with this film. If you want more quirky, ridiculous, treasure-seeking fun that picks up right where the last left off, this is your ticket. That was a roller coaster, wasn't it? I was going to say, <laughs> I I wish that, I know podcasting is not a visual medium, but I wish that people could have seen my reactions to that in real time because I was overjoyed and then it kept crashing down and that happened numerous yeah. times. Oh my God, so funny. So um, like Ed Harris replacing Sean Bean, I was sad about. Helen Mirren, being an addition to strengthen the film's female roles. Amazing. But then they say that it's thanks to Diane Kruger's utter mediocrity, which, first of all, rude, and second of all, untrue. Um, the fact that the Da Vinci Code was brought in, I knew was going to ruffle your feathers. Um, let's see, what else? The suggestion that uh, this isn't intellectually stimulating is a little rude. Uh, although I understand how sometimes reading a book rather than watching a film, you feel that there is a little more like intellectual stimulation happening just because like, I don't know, you're like reading it. It's hard to explain, but I kind of, I kind of understand what, I kind of understand that difference between like a book and a movie, but I don't like the implication that this isn't as intellectually stimulating as the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, so um, for me, I found it to be a roller coaster only because I, it started off really strong and I was like, oh, this guy likes this movie. And then it gets to the point where I'm like, does he like this movie? And then by the end, I'm like, oh, he definitely doesn't like this movie. And then, it's like, why'd you give it a seven out of yeah, 10, bro? It's, and, and, and the whole, the title being the formula still works. Um, but for me, yeah, my biggest issue with this one is the implication, not just that it's not intellectually stimulating, but that it's not clever. I honestly could not think of a more inaccurate description of this film than not clever. Yeah, it is very, very clever. Because in my opinion, and this is this is actually straight up, I don't think I've said this on the show before, but while I think the first film is better structured and, you know, a great story, etc., compared to the second movie, I do think that the second movie's clues are more clever and more interesting as a whole. There seem to be more of them. They seem to be tied together in really interesting ways, even if it's a slightly confusing way. Mm -hmm. So I could not disagree more with him saying that this is not clever. I think that's a really lazy characterization. Mm -hmm. um, on the Diane Kruger point, I, I, 
I was think uh, like you said, utter mediocrity is is a little extreme. I don't have strong feelings about her acting ability. I don't have strong feelings about really anyone's acting ability because I'm not an actor, so I don't feel like I'm justified in critiquing that. Um, but what I will say is I question his the I question the fact that of all of the characters in this franchise, of which the vast majority are men. The only one whose acting ability he's critiquing is one of the only women. Hmm. Does that signal maybe the patriarchy? The patriarchy. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a little questionable and a little strange. Um, other than that, I, I agree with Steven that the formula still works for National Treasure, and that's why we need National Treasure 3. Or at least we agree with the with the Steven that started this review. Maybe yeah. not the one that ended it. Some code switching here. <laughs> um, and your point about Da Vinci Code, I actually wasn't mad about the reference to like, this is still just as hot as it was in the year of the Da Vinci Code, because I do think that the Da Vinci Code was a huge phenomenon when it came out. And that's what the reference is to there. But the whole like, oh, read the Da Vinci Code if you want something more intellectual, like go listen to the last 40 episodes of our show. All right. All right. All right. Ready for the second one? Mm-hmm. All right. So this one is written by username All the Mountains, uh, who gives the film six out of 10 stars, and the title is Decent Film. The review reads National Treasure Book of Secrets is a decent film. Nothing more, nothing less. I came out of the theater content, and yet by the next hour, I'd forgotten much of what had taken place. Such is the case for most films now, however. Compared to the first film, the plot is weak, certainly not as tightly drawn as the former, but the energy is the same and the humor is the same, and overall, it's still as watchable as the first. Helen Mirren and Ed Harris were also very good and somewhat surprising additions to the cast. Essentially, the movie is on the ridiculous slash unbelievable side, but it's worth a watch. I don't think I'd pay another $10 to see it again in theaters, but waiting for a rental will do. I just got to say that aside from the last line, as you could expect, I'm biased. I would pay to see these movies up teen times in a movie theater. I think this is a very, very fair review. I do as well, because I think that it, it does a good job of pointing out the flaws, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't like to admit oftentimes that there are flaws with these movies. Um, we tend to kind of rebrand them as not flaws, but as just like interesting occurrences or something like that. But there are definitely some, I, I, for example, the point about the plot not being as tightly drawn as the former. We know, our audience knows, the writers literally told us (laughs) that it was not as tightly drawn. Like that, that's just the case. And the fact that people can see that means that they're good moviegoers, right? They're Mm -hmm. able to see through some of the stuff. It doesn't mean that it's a bad film, but it means that yeah, you can tell the plot was maybe not as strong as the first one. And to some extent, I also look at that as a re- reflection of the fact that the first movie was so tightly drawn because mm-hmm. it had been worked on for so much time, right? Whereas this one had so much less time to, to be put together. Um, and I also wonder how much would we feel that way about this movie, about it being all over the place? 
if we didn't have the first movie to compare it to. I mean, in some ways, this movie is pretty standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we didn't have the first movie to compare it to, I th- I do think critiques would be a lot less harsh it's from true. the viewers specifically. As we know, critics are critics. They're always going to be rude to these sorts of movies. But from viewers' pr- perspectives, I think they would be less critical if they didn't have the first movie to compare it to. Just a thought. Not that that's a bad thing or a good thing or anything. Um, I'd also like to point out here, Emily, that you probably agree with all the mountains that you've forgotten much of what took place after watching the movie. I was going to say that that statement at the beginning is just like a general statement for me as a whole. Yeah. Not just for me with Book of Secrets. Um, it That's just kind of my life. I, I find things really enjoyable while I am in the moment and watching them. And then if somebody asks me a question about what happened and it wasn't like the main thing that I was watching for, I don't know. I can tell you about the music in the film, sure. Oh my gosh. But I could not tell you what about the plot actually happened and unfortunately that's just me as a person so and that is what all of you listeners have to look forward to for the remainder of this season and with that let's move on to our final review of the day written by bethany cox now eagle-eyed viewers no that doesn't work here eagle-eared listeners of the podcast might do eagles have good ears now they do eagle-eared listeners of the podcast might recall that we included Bethany Cox's National Treasure Review in our previous episode, all right? So keep that in mind. She gives Book of Secrets 7 out of 10 stars and calls her review daft but fun. She writes, I liked this sequel. I do need to rewatch the predecessor, but from my memory, I remember the first film being a tad better. National Treasure Book of Secrets does have its problems, primarily the daft and sometimes contrived plot, and sometimes weak script despite three or four hilarious scenes, and the climax does take a tad too long. Despite all of this, the film is still a lot of fun thanks to some awesome chase scenes, the great special effects, and the fun performances of Nicolas Cage, Helen Mirren, and John Voight. Plus, there are some funny jokes and scenes, and the music is brilliant, and the clues are nice and complex. I will say me and my whole family liked this film. We all felt it is daft and silly, but for a family film, it does have a sense of fun. I think daft was Bethany's word of the week. Yeah, for sure. Um, But I also think this is another fair review. Like you said, pointing out some flaws um like the contrived plot for example but what i liked about this one is not only does it point out the flaws but it also points out things that it does really well Mm -hmm. um so for example the hilarious scenes the chase scenes the special effects and the performances of certain actors um i'm sure you appreciated the music point i loved it (laughs) it made me so happy And in this case, we have someone who seems to like the fact that the clues are complex. Yeah, I thought I thought that that was really interesting, positive thing Mm -hmm. and something that, you know, I guess, yeah, I'll I'll touch on in a minute or so. So something I really found interesting about this review that I really do want to discuss here. Bethany notes that the climax takes too long to get to now. We talked about this, if you recall, Emily, so you probably don't, back in our Parallels episode. We have a whole episode comparing National Treasure and Book of Secrets in season two of our show. 
And in that episode, we did note the very different structure between the two films and their pacing. So in the first movie, we really felt that the, the key climax was the heist of stealing the declaration. And that happened smack in the middle of the movie. And everything is like a falling action from there. But in this movie, the key heist, the kidnapping of the president, happens very much closer to the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so what's funny about that is, once again, I think if you watch this movie, Book of Secrets, in isolation, I don't think you feel like the climax takes too long to arrive. Why? Because that's traditionally where the climax sits. Sure. It's near the end of the movie, but I feel like people watching this movie, by comparing it so closely to the first film, you are inherently comparing apples to oranges if you're talking about this like pacing structure. And so if what you wanted was almost two climaxes, the declaration in the middle, the Templar treasure at the end, you're not getting that in Book of Secrets because it has a much more traditional structure. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about it that way. I like that thought process. Well, I mean, you did think about it back when we talked about it in season two, but, um, you know, it's been a while. (laughs) What I meant was that I didn't think about it to that way today. Oh, of course, of course. Well, my presence off. I'm trying to be grounded in the present. Grounded in the present. Forget the past. Fair enough, Emily. Okay. Well, with that, should we begin wrapping up this discussion? I think so. All right, I'd love to ask you, Em, if you have any final thoughts of this overall exercise today, because until we get National Treasure 3, we don't get to do this again for a while. Yeah, so I I was saving this, as I mentioned, like a couple minutes ago. Um, I think, one, this was fun to do, so I'm, I'm glad that we did it again. Um, I, I feel like we were a little less heated this time, or maybe, I don't know. Except for I, that one huge <laughs> rant you went on. Except for that one rant. Um, I, I think what's really coming to m- the forefront of things here for me, and maybe this is, I don't know if it's something wrong with m- movie critiques or not, or just something to, to notice and think about when it comes to interpreting them is that everybody is viewing these movies through their own lens, right? And I think that, you know, we saw a couple times through these different reviews, the same concept being brought up, but different positive or negative spins being placed on those concepts. So for example, the idea of the clues being slightly complex we had some people who thought that wasn't fun we had some people who thought the clues were too simple and we had some people who really enjoyed the complex nature of the clues and I think for things like that where it can kind of set the tone for the review or the critique as a whole it's important to consider the fact that everybody is coming into it with a slightly different not only a slightly different opinion of what they're looking for, but a slightly different, as I said, lens of what they're viewing it through. And this might be uh, due to other movies that they've seen previously, like right before this one. It could be due to, like with some of our less favorable reviewers, 
um, just their general expectations for what they think movies should be as a whole. Um, but I think that just considering that when we're looking at these movie reviews is definitely something something interesting to think of moving forward as we continue with these types of discussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so my final thoughts here, I actually have two. It was one. It's expanded <laughs> to two. Um, one of which is just to really hammer home something that I've brought up in the last, I would say, 15 minutes a couple of times, mostly because it came to mind as we were talking today, Em, and that is the concept of people viewing Book of Secrets in the context of national treasure. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that a lot of the criticisms are a direct result of feeling like national treasure did different aspects of the film better. Mm. So just a thought, would love to hear people's takes on that. Um, I know it's very hard to be objective when you have seen both movies to be like, oh yes, if I hadn't seen the first one, I would have thought this. Like, I know that's very difficult to do, but if anyone has thoughts on that, please let us know. My other big point that I actually did prepare (laughs) (laughs) um, relates back to my thought at the opening of this episode about the fact that I feel like there was some inconsistency in the reviews, especially on the part of the critics, where their their reviews were much harsher for the first movie, yet they claimed the second movie was worse. Mm. And so I was speculating and thinking, like, why would that have been? Like, is there a difference has there been a big difference in those three that three-year span in terms of how movie criticisms are done and I was like that's probably not the case we're not talking about decades of difference here (laughs) I think there's something to be said for the fact that all of those reviews if you recall of the first movie they all mentioned financial aspects, financial predictions for National Treasure. Do you remember they all said, all the professional critics said that this movie was going to be a bust, a total waste of time, no one would go see it, blah, blah, blah. Then they were wrong. Right. They were very wrong. And so a part of me was like, okay, they didn't mention anything about box office predictions in these at all. Not in anything we read here, but I can assure you all, also not in the aspects that we did not include for the sake of time. It was not mentioned at all. So I was like, okay, did the critics realize that their, per- that their perceptions of audience appreciation for these movies were wrong mm-hmm. and they didn't want to be wrong again, especially when it comes to box office success? They don't want to, they don't, they don't want to come out again and be like, oh, this one's going to flop. And then turns out it made like a hundred million more than the first one. Um, So I thought that was pretty interesting. I kind of thought that could be the reason why they toned down their criticism Mm -hmm. because of how badly they got it wrong the first time. There's also the fact, like I said, that these critiques, again, by the real critics, were a lot less descriptive. Like, recall the Rolling Stone guy. Like, I hated it because I hated it. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Whereas the first round of reviews for the first movie, it was a lot more descriptive as to why they hated it. Even if we disagreed with the way they said it, their tone, or the actual substance itself. So once again, I'm wondering, okay, well, they didn't like the characters before. Well, it turns out everyone loves the characters. (laughs) 
They didn't love the how it felt similar to Indiana Jones before. Oh, well, it turns out everyone loved that too. And so all the substance of their criticism, they took out because they were just going to be wrong again mm. in the public eye. Wow. That's my thought. What an intriguing thought. I thank you. I try really hard. <laughs> I love that. So if you have thoughts about what Aubrey just said, because I think we could have a discussion about that for days, um, or anything else that we've talked about in this episode, please feel free to let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are available to listen to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasting mediums. Um, <laughs> we also now have a website that you can check out. It is nthuntpodcast.com, and there you will find pages and links to our merch store information about our book, information about our annual tour, and a form that you can contact us on, please go ahead and contact us in any of the ways that I just suggested, really. And let us know your thoughts about this episode. Let us know your thoughts about these movies, if you had a similar or different review from what was said here, and just keep us involved in the conversation. Absolutely. And with that, we are so excited to invite you to join us again for our next episode, which I'm very excited about. Our next episode is going to kind of launch us into like a sub-series of episodes for the next four, I would say four weeks, but we're bi-weekly. So like the next four installments um, are all related. And you guys, that's because, little known fact, there is actually a four-part prequel book series for National Treasure. Yes, you heard that right. There's the, the these movies were so successful, ha, critics, that <laughs> Disney Press published four prequel books and we are going to do all the hard work of reading them and relaying back to you the story that precedes National Treasure, okay? So next week, we start our prequel series with a book called Changing Tides, A Gates Family Mystery, written by Katherine Hapka and once again published by Disney Press. You're not going to want to miss that, especially if you, like us, like to think that you know all there is to know about National Treasure. We've got some new stuff for you. All right? So until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt.